Mike Young and Virginia Tech pick up another win over a ranked team. UVA's defense looks to be working itself into shape. Alabama celebrates another national title. And we celebrate the women who make it possible for us to do this job that we love. This week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 36 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Mike, I'm well. Good morning. And and before we get about the business of celebrating our wives, which is obviously something we should do more often, but we, we need to celebrate you and your award this week of Virginia Sports Writer of the Year as voted by your peers. And to me, that's the really cool part of this in the National Sports Media Association. So congratulations, my brother. No, thank you. And, and coming from you, that, that means a ton because uh, your name is kind of synonymous with that award. And when I looked at, you know, I looked at the list of, of the guys who've won it before and uh, starting with you and, and, and Doug Dowdy, Jerry Ratcliffe, and Bill Brill. I, I mean, the list, Bill Millsaps, the, the list just goes on. It's such a, a venerable group. So uh, quite humbling to see my name pop up there with, with those kind of names that have come before. Well, richly deserved. Congrats. Thank you, sir. Now, it's a big week in both our homes, and it's not about my award. (laughs) So before we get any further into this show, I want to say a very happy birthday to my wife, Elizabeth. And David, I think you have a similar situation at home. Yes, tomorrow is Jill Teal's birthday, and we we will be celebrating. I'm not as handy as you are in the kitchen, Mike, but, but our daughter has decided that she and I are getting up crack of dawn tomorrow to fix Jill breakfast. She has the recipe all picked out. And then we are also fixing Jill dinner. So I'm not sure if this is a good thing for Jill or a bad thing. <laughs> so happy birthday, Jill. That's what's coming your way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. And, it, it, you know, it's fun to have the, the kids that are at the age to to really want to be part of, of celebrating. And, um, you know, we have some things planned here. And uh, Elizabeth actually requested we, we, there are these hamburgers on the grill. So hopefully it won't be too cold. But um, with a pepper jelly, a pimento cheese, bacon, they're, they're pretty decadent burgers. So that was the birthday request for tonight's dinner. And um, me, me and my daughter will be uh, manning the grill, so to speak, to make sure that happens. And, uh, you know, we laugh. But but seriously, the, to, to be the wife of a, a sports writer is not the easiest assignment. Uh, and they make it... Uh, they make it possible for, for us to do not not just this podcast, but to travel, to cover games, and really um, to come home to to a family and a home. So uh, happy birthday to both very special women. Amen. Now, David, I have to ask this. We're in this pandemic. People aren't out in the stores like they used to be. There's, there's online shopping. There's all this. You're spending all of this time at home with your family. Is it easier or harder to pick out a birthday gift right now, do you think? Well, in my case, I can't speak for you. I can assure you it's much easier because the other day I looked out on the front stoop 
And there's this package out there. And, you know, you get packages delivered all the time these days, but I didn't know what it was. And it was addressed to Jill, and I brought it in the house. And I said, yo, you know, what, what, what's this? She goes, that's the birthday present you bought me that I picked <laughs> out for myself. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> That is amazing and efficient. I yes. love it. Now all I have to do is wrap that sucker. Do, do you know what it is, or is it going to be a surprise for you? It, it, it appears to be a book of some sort. I have, I have yet to crack the box. Excellent. I'm, I'm actually staring at a stack of packages from Amazon, uh, most of which were sort of mutually selected. I had there some help, go. but I do pride myself on, on gift giving. That's always been something that uh, I thought I've been good at. So there's, there's one box in that stack over there uh, that I picked out my own, on my own. Elizabeth doesn't know it's coming and hopefully it'll, it'll be well received. So Very cool. uh, we'll see. We'll see. Now we've, we've gotten a, a bit of a, a gift here uh, to be able to go and see basketball games in person. Yeah. You know, we were talking about some of the media that covers other ACC teams that don't have this luxury. And last night we were both in Blacksburg to, to watch Virginia Tech beat Duke that's number 19 Duke. That means Mike Young has his third win over a ranked opponent this season. And uh, what stood out to me was that, you know, for all the top flight talent that Duke puts on the floor, right, all the big time recruits, the the names we know, the guys who are, are destined to play at, at a higher level, uh, I thought Virginia Tech's best players, and, and I'm saying Kevin Aluma, Tyrese Radford, Jalen Cohn, I thought they were able to take over the game for stretches, and I thought that really impressed me, David. Oh, absolutely. It was impressive, Mike. And Mike Krzyzewski, after the game, he, in a very succinct quote, said, that Radford kid, he was the best player on the floor. And I tend to agree. Six, I think it was 16 points and 12 rebounds, his first double-double of the season. And to think that that cat is six foot two. And, and rebounds like that and scores inside with either hand. I think that's such an unappreciated skill. The fact that he can finish at the rim with either hand, you know, depending on the side of the basket he's on or how a guy is guarding him. Such a fundamental and lost art. He's, he just excels at it. Well said. You know, I thought Tyrese Radford a year ago, um, and I don't I don't mean this as bad as maybe it'll sound, but I thought he was a little bit of a sympathetic figure, right? He was playing <laughs> yeah, out of position and, and there wasn't much support and there wasn't much help. And this year he's got some pieces around him that you're really seeing his game flourish. He's still versatile. You can still do all these things with him, but he's not kind of that one man band that at, at times it felt like uh, he had to be last year. Well, he's got some he's got some post help. In, in, in Aluma. Aluma right now, and it's early, granted, he's a first-team All-ACC guy right now. And he continued to play that way last night. And there, there was one sequence in the first half, Mike, and I, I know it's just, it's just one possession. But if you were going to nitpick Keve Aluma, the one thing at least I would pick out is he gets a little too enamored of the three now and then. Well, the other, or last night, there was this possession where he's staring it down from the top of the key, and I'm thinking, here he goes. He's going to launch it. And darn if he didn't just put it on the deck against Matthew Hurt, drive past him, and go to the rim and finish. And I thought, wow, 
that's what you want to see even more of from Kevin Aluma. Because if, if he does that more frequently, I think he and Virginia Tech become that much better. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting, that development, because you're right. We, we did see that uh, patience or, or thoughtfulness in his game last night. Mike Young said in during the week leading up to the game, he mentioned Aluma, and, and I asked him about three-point shooting, and he said, you know, I'm not going to say anything to him about shooting threes. He can take them. He can make them. I have confidence in him. But he indicated exactly what you're saying, that maybe that's not where Keve Aluma is at his best. So mm-hmm. he wasn't going to put the stoplight on the kid, and he's not going to tell him, take that out of your arsenal. But you could tell that maybe there was a little prodding of, hey, yeah, you can hit that shot, but you can do some other things from that position. And, and I think we saw that now. When it comes to the three ball, the, the guy who has really been standing out here of late has been Jalen Cohn. Yeah. Uh, he came into the year, David, as a great catch and shoot three point shooter, right? You come off a screen or a guy drives into the lane, the defense collapses, they kick it. Jalen Cohn was going to catch it and knock it down. But he's talked to us about this year working on and adding this ability to create his own shot. To, to get the shot off the dribble. And it, it's made him even harder to defend. You know, in this game, uh, twice against Notre Dame, he was fouled on three-point attempts, which mm-hmm. um, is a thing that gives coaches gray hair or, or no hair, depending on how the situation plays out. Now, here's his coach, Mike Young, on Jalen Cohn's three-point ability. I sometimes, you know, think to myself, how in the world would you uh, guard him? This guy is so elusive and so fast off of, uh, off of screens and he can catch it and get squared uh, on balance. And when he gets to the top of his jump, and he jumps, I mean, he's, uh, I don't know what he is, uh, probably listing 5'10". He's no more than 5'7". Uh, when he jumps, I mean, that is a true jump shot. He is off the deck. Yeah, Jalen Cohn has the physical tools. And it's funny, Mike Young saying, I don't know how I would defend him. I asked Tyrese Radford that question uh, after the win over Duke. And I said, how would you defend him? You're in practice. You know this guy. Uh, and he he deferred to Mike Young. He said, I also have no idea. Uh, David, how big can Jalen Cohn be for this team? Well, I I think he can be immense, Mike. And, and the fact that he's doing it coming off the bench and Mike Young really likes him in that role and Jalen Cohn appears to have embraced it. He just brings that energy. You know, we, we, we date ourselves, but we always talk about Vinnie Johnson, the microwave <laughs> from the D- old Detroit Pistons who also wore number 15, by the way, the same as Jalen Cohn or, you know, I've heard some comparison. I think Mike Bray used the comparison of downtown Freddie Brown for the old Seattle Super Size. And you mentioned, and I think it's a really good observation, Cone's ability to get it off the dribble. Last night, Mike, and he's listed at 5'10", and as Mike Young says, that may be generous. <laughs> he got one off the dribble with Jamin Brakefield on him, who, by the way, is 6'8". He's got 10 inches on Jalen Cohn. Cohn backed him off with the dribble, elevated over him, and made the three. Yeah, and it's it's such a great example of coaches giving you something to, to work on, an athlete taking it to heart and putting in the work. Because the way Jalen Cohn jumps, he doesn't need to do these other things to be effective. He does need them to be great. 
right? Like he, he would have been just fine with that elevation, shooting a lot of open threes. Um, you know, guys, it's hard to close on him, but he put in the work to take his game to that next level that they always say. And, and it's really, that's a very obvious example of putting in the work and how it transforms not just his play, but the offense and the way they get him the ball, the way they can score. He's not the only one. David, this team has some really good pieces. We talked about Radford and Aluma. Um, they're not the only ones. Hunter Couture, uh, just is, he's one of those guys that helps win you games in college basketball with his defense, his fearlessness, his shot-making ability. So my question to you, how good can this team be? Very. I mean, they're sitting there at 4-1 and one in the league, 10-2 and two overall. You know, had the clunker against Penn State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Gave Louisville a great game on the road. If Couture's three goes, they walk home ha- or they walk out of the gym happy. He back rimmed it. Eh, you know, you can live with that. And Mike Young said so after the game. He said, I, I like that shot, especially in an unsettled situation. They had no timeouts, missed free throw. You got to push it. No, I, this is a team that can remain, I think, along with a handful of others in contention for the ACC regular season title throughout the year. I think it's that good. You you wrote about this in your column after the game, but Mike Young said, let's not beat around the bush. This team is good. Uh, They can still be better, and and he addressed that. um, But, yeah, I I think that there's something about what Mike has done that's impressive. In A year ago, he found some ways to win games, right? It it felt like not magic, not smoke and mirrors, because they're earning it on the floor. but it was hard every night to kind of find a way to win. And this year, it doesn't feel that way. This year, it feels like they know the way to win, and it's just about executing and performing, and that is much more sustainable. Well, I, I believe he said this, Mike, in response to your question post game when you asked about the, the poise of his team after Duke had cut the 18-point lead to down to one in the second half. And he said, that's the mark of a team that's been there and done it. And I agree with him. And you mentioned the, the three wins over ranked teams in Villanova, Clemson, and now Duke. The Hokies are 3-0 and against teams that were ranked at tip-off. The rest of the ACC is a combined 4-21 and in such games. Ouch. Now it's early, but yeah. that's certainly an indicator that mm-hmm. this is a team that certainly can be in the top third of the ACC and, and, and make a run. And um, I think that's fascinating. And while we're hitting this topic, I don't want to glance over Duke because mm-hmm. I still think that's a very good team. <laughs> we all know how good a coach Mike Krzyzewski is. David, when you watch them play, um, are you concerned about Duke or, or did they just get beat by a good team last night? Well, they did get beat by a good team, but yes, if I were a Duke fan, I'd be very concerned. I think they're soft, especially on on the defensive end. At least they look soft. Now, they haven't played enough. I mean, what was last night? Their eighth game, and now they've got another week off. You know, they they, they don't have the a, a game this weekend. You know, Mike Shashevsky was in quarantine for a week after his daughter and granddaughter tested positive for the virus. So they just haven't had a chance to be together for a while and develop any kind of. You know, Matthew Hurt leads the ACC in scoring. He's a very talented kid. And Jalen Johnson, who came back from a three game absence 
last night was non-factor, but you know, he had a foot injury. It's going to take him a while. He's the most touted freshman they have. Jordan Goldwire, who kind of reminds me of Wabi Sabidi, mm-hmm. you know, just such a pest defensively. He can hit a shot occasionally to help you. So you know, clearly Duke has pieces and talent, but they're so young as opposed to Virginia Tech. And they don't know quite yet how to win. So I, I think it's going to take them, you know, perhaps a while. So we're a little worried about Duke. We're very high on Virginia Tech. Now, the team we went into the season with such high expectations for was UVA, right? The preseason pick in the conference. We both expected them to win the ACC. There have been some signs here of late that Tony Bennett's team is is starting to put it together. So uh, first big picture, do we still feel pretty good about UVA? Yeah. I think so. But as, as, as we talked about you and I earlier in the week, UVA's three and O in the ACC, just as Duke was entering last night. But those three wins are against Boston college, Wake Forest and Notre Dame. And those, those clubs are clearly not among the best that the league has to offer. In fact, they were a combined 0 and 12 before last night when Boston College absolutely oh. smoked. <laughs> I mean, smoked Miami. Did not see that coming. No, well, that's what happens when you make 18 threes. Yeah. I mean, you make 18, of, I think it was 18 of 35 from beyond the arc. You can beat up a whole bunch of folks. But, you know, really, so hope, knock on wood, that Virginia can play at Clemson on Saturday. Because I, I think, you know, the Cavaliers have the matinee this afternoon against Notre Dame, a, a rematch. But going to Clemson, that will be a serious test. Yeah, I think if they're 5-0 and in the ACC after that game, mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll we'll change our tune a little, right? It, yeah. Not that we don't think this team is good, but that will really have established uh, something for them. Now, one of the things they've been establishing here is the play of, of Sam Hauser, uh, mm-hmm. the Marquette transfer who we both thought was going to come in and kind of light the world on fire from three, which is what this offense had been missing. His three-point shooting still isn't quite where I think it's expected to be, but he's become a very productive all-around player, scoring from different spots, rebounding, moving the ball, making a smart play. He's improving defensively, getting more comfortable in the pack line. Uh, What have you seen from Sam Hauser, and is what he's giving Virginia uh, enough to help make them really great this year? I think it is, and I think he'll continue to, to, to give them more. He's he's very versatile on, on the offensive end, and I think he's getting more and more comfortable with his teammates. You mentioned defensively, he's he's getting a, l- a little used to to the pack line, and it's it's interesting. You know, as as much as we have questioned Virginia defensively this season, and Tony Bennett has too. I looked at Ken Palm's metrics this morning. <laughs> Those those slackers in Charlottesville are a meager ninth in the country in defensive efficiency. <laughs> so let's try to keep things in context a little bit. Although what's interesting to me is Virginia is going to get a little dose of its own medicine 
Because guess who's number one in the country in defensive efficiency? Yeah, which is what makes that potentially. Clemson. Yeah, which yes. is what makes that potentially such a fascinating matchup. And um, I think Brad Brownell is a wildly underrated coach. I, I think the job he's done, it seems like, I don't know, two or the three last years, other than the, the one big, it feels like he's always on some sort of hot seat. And yeah. to me, the guy is a great basketball coach and he's building that, you know, that tradition and that culture. And, and, and when you talk about it, you're absolutely right that it does seem like in some ways we do Tony Bennett's work for him, uh, <laughs> right? Like yeah. Tony Bennett wants the defense to be never satisfied and never good enough. And we take that storyline and absolutely run with it and say, oh, they're, they're just not where you expect them to be. And that's the Tony Bennett way. But yeah, they're pretty damn good still. And interestingly, and, and, and we, we talked to Jay Huff about this, they are a team that um, they find themselves defensively as the year goes. They get more comfortable. Everybody says the pack line, right? But every year, it's a different iteration of the pack line. Guys are playing a little bit different roles. Guys are a little more comfortable, less comfortable with help and when to leave their man and, and all of those things. And you know, we, we kind of had the red flag. They get whacked by number one Gonzaga. Yeah. They give up 95 points. Well, David, a lot of people have gotten whacked by Gonzaga. That's a great yeah. offense. Uh, in the win over Boston College, they gave up the fewest points that they've given up in ACC play this season. They seem to be rounding into form. Here's Jay Huff, who blocked five shots, by the way, against BC. Here's Jay Huff on that defensive evolution. I think – and this has been true of most of the teams that I've been a part of. It's been a growing process. You know, we have like kind of the start of the year where, you know, there's a few bumps. There's some times where we haven't quite figured out how to play just the defense that we play together yet, just because, you know, it's a rotating cast of characters. Um, but, you know, once we figure it out, and it happens every year, once we figure it out, and I think today was a really good step in that direction. We can really just get to what we know we can do and what has been done uh, traditionally in this program. I think that's intelligent. I think it's introspective. I think it's correct. David, when you hear that, when you see the the trend, by March, are we going to say that this defense is just like all the other great Tony Bennett defenses? Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty darn good, Mike. And, you know, how impressive is is the 49 holding BC to 49 when the Eagles turn around and score 82 right. last night? And the game before that, they were in the 80s at Duke. And man, that's that's a really good offense. B, BC's problem is not offense; it's it's on the defensive end. So yes, I think Virginia is is rounding into form defensively. And oh, by the way, I think they're going to get even better when Casey Morsell comes back. Yeah, yeah, another perimeter defender, on-ball defender, mm-hmm. um, and that's an interesting thing. And it was actually Boston College coach Jim Christian who pointed this out. And again, every UVA defense is a little bit different, even though it's a Tony Bennett pack line. And he said he thought this year's team has the best one-on-one defenders, uh, one through five, that he's seen Virginia have. That's saying something because there have been some great one-on-one on-ball defenders in Virginia. But the collection of the five, David, what does that mean and, and how does that improve what this defense can be well it's interesting i, I think the exact phrase or, or quote was something they don't need the pack line yeah. you know it, which god forbid the dick or tony bennett hear that <laughs> my my heavens that's blasphemy but they, they really do have some gift i mean kia clark is a total thorn in the backside 
defensively. I think Morcel can be the same way, just differently because he's bigger and stockier and stronger than than Clark is. And Huff as as a as a rim protector. Yeah, I mean, and and Trey Murphy, mm-hmm. you know, he he's I mean, he's got that wingspan. You know, he can get down in a stance and he gets a, those arms out into passing lanes and such. So yeah, they've they've got some one-on-one defenders, and once they start to work together as seamlessly as Tony Bennett and the staff want them to, yeah, I think this can be a top five, top three defense. It's great that you bring up Trey Murphy. I had a really interesting talk the other day with Jason Williford about Trey Murphy, and Trey's goal is to essentially fill the role of a Dre Hunter. Um, he's that kind of long wing. Now, I don't know that he's got the the whole package that Hunter yeah. did, mm-hmm. but but that's his goal, and that's what he works for. And in Murphy's mind, a big part of that is playing on the defensive end because Hunter was a great, great wing defender. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not just they've got the talent. They've got the physique now. Uh, Reese Beekman, the, the freshman guard who's yes. been playing a lot, he's got that same length and athleticism mm-hmm. that when you combine that, with the defensive principles that they focus on at Virginia, you get something really special. Yeah, and I, th- I think with, with Murphy, it, it, it's kind of a not rough transition, but a challenging one because he came <laughs> from Rice where, you know, no offense intended, they didn't guard anybody. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you talk about culture shock. You know, Rice to UVA academically? No, that's that's fine. We're talking about two elite academic institutions. We are not talking about two elite defensive college basketball programs. Yeah, now the, the kid may be a little hard on himself, but he told me, I'm, I'm actually working on a, a feature on Trey Murphy, and he told me, I asked him about the adjustment to defense at UVA. He said, I don't think I've played defense in the first 18 years of my life, <laughs> which yeah. um, I, he's probably being too hard on himself, but he probably hasn't played defense the way Tony Bennett wants you to play defense in the first 18 years of his life. That's no. probably reasonable. Yeah, very, very reasonable. So talking about that UVA defense rounding into form, we talked about Virginia Tech, and that brings us to this week's Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. Right now, from what you guys have seen, who is the best ACC team in the Commonwealth? Is it UVA or is it Virginia Tech? Let's start with David. Right now, it's Virginia Tech. I mean, just based on credentials and what you've seen on the floor and who they've played. Now, a lot of that, in fact... Most of it is opportunity. Virginia hasn't had that opportunity to play top shelf ACC competition yet. The Hokies have. And Virginia Tech didn't have to play Gonzaga. UVA did. But right now, Virginia Tech is is the more impressive squad and has the better credentials. Mike, who you got? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's interesting, you know, and this is just another one of those COVID infringements on our year. Right. Had we had the UVA tech game, what an interesting data point that would yes. be. Um, because I also think that, you know, Virginia Tech, we talked so much about the offensive weapons. That team is also about defense. It's also about denying penetration into the lane. Um, it's also about its on ball feistiness. So I think there's some similarities between those teams on the defensive end. And um, whenever we get those games, uh, I, I think they're going to be really interesting matchups. But right now, uh, for the reasons David just listed, it, you know, Virginia Tech has earned the right for us to say that um, you know, they're the best ACC team in the Commonwealth right now. And, and I think reason to believe that they could be there when it's all said and done. 
Yep. I, I don't think there's any question. And we're looking forward to January 30. That's for sure. When UVA is scheduled, always use that word to put, to play the Hokies in Blacksburg. And then uh, as, as, as Mike Young mentioned, you know, hopefully they can play again in, in February to make up that January 2nd postponement. Yeah. You, you mentioned scheduling is always uh, questionable, right? It, it's always TBD. There's always a, an asterisk or a hold and, um, you know, there's no guarantees that UVA is going to play Clemson on Saturday. The Tigers have been in a pause. Now, right here, Richmond has halted its program uh, due to COVID-19 testing, contact tracing. The Spiders didn't have a game on the schedule midweek. They did have one this weekend. They were supposed yeah, to play rival VCU. That's a game that, you know, even as two guys who focus on the ACC, VCU and Richmond is an exciting, fun game. That's off now, David. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, especially because I was going. <laughs> nice 1 p.m. Saturday matinee. I was going to be home for dinner. I was really looking forward to my Saturday. And in large measure, I mean, it's a great matchup because you have VCU and it's press and Bones Highland and Ace Baldwin just getting after you full court defensively. And then here comes this senior-laden backcourt of the Spiders with Jacob Gilliard and his 4-to-1 assist turnover ratio and, and Blake Francis. And I just thought, man, what a great guard matchup this is going to be. And, you know, obviously Robin Center was not going to be full and the, the atmosphere was going to be squirrely as it has been th- throughout the season. But, yeah, I hate, hate that that game's getting postponed. Yeah, I'm sure they'll find a chance to make that up. You know, it's interesting. You, you think about VCU, and I always say this, and I know I've said it on the pod before, but you close your eyes, and what do you picture? Close your eyes, you picture VCU, you think about Havoc. You close yeah. your eyes, you think about Richmond, you think about Chris Mooney and the and the Princeton offense and the discipline. Um, you know, they, they've got athletes too, but it, just a style of play uh, matchup that I think is intriguing. David, what do you think about the job that, that Chris Mooney has done at, at Richmond? Because he's a guy that not that long ago was kind of the hot name in coaching. Some people thought maybe he should have jumped for a bigger job, didn't strike while the iron is hot, so to speak. He kind of had a dip there, and it seems like he's got things pointed, boy, in the, in the right direction again. He sure does, Mike. I, I believe that the Spiders – we're going to get in as an at-large last season. Mm-hmm. I really do. And they were, you know, they made a cameo in, in, in the top 25 this season, especially after the victory at Kentucky. Now, some of the shine has come off of that, given the Wildcats <laughs> considerable struggles to, to be, gen- to be generous uh, subsequently. But, I think this is a very high caliber team because March is about guard play. And as we were just talking about with, with Gilliard and and Francis, Richmond has a really, really nice backcourt tandem and some depth there. And Chris Mooney, he can obviously coach. He, He didn't forget how to during that lull that the spiders had there for a few seasons. And, you know, he's, he's got it on the uptick now. And, you know, clearly, given how many seniors he's got now, who knows how, how many might come back given the, the, the basically the free year that guys have eligibility wise. But 
if you're Richmond, you so want this season to continue, especially in, in postseason, because this is a team that could do some damage. Yeah. You mentioned where they were last year, where they seem to be this year, and the possibility of what they could return next year. That's where you really feel good if you're a Richmond fan. Is And we've seen it, and this isn't a knock, but we've seen mid-majors who have that one year where everybody's back and they're all veteran and there's a bunch of seniors and they're really good. But Mooney has found a way here to, to stack his teams so that th- there was success, there is success, and there may be success uh, going forward. So I think really encouraging signs and, and certainly echo your thought that uh, disappointing we're not going to get to watch that this weekend. Yeah, I, uh, I'll find something else to watch. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure UVA Clemson, hopefully, I think that's a 6 p.m. game and uh, some some others on the docket and and hopefully they can yeah get this one rescheduled VCU's already lost I believe it's one league game against Davidson that they're trying to to reschedule and and by the way Mike I had this thought earlier this morning on the off chance that Clemson can't play Saturday memo to Ed McLaughlin and Carla Williams. Let's get VCU and Virginia together on Saturday. I, I mean, I don't care if you play at a high school between Richmond and Charlottesville if you don't want to play on one another's home court. But let's get those two teams together. That is a great idea and yet another example of why I think you need to be the overall commissioner of college <laughs> sports because, yeah, no, no reason. And, and it would be it would be great for both programs, right? Everybody's talking yeah. about, hey, you need inventory. You need games. Yeah. You, you need the chance, not just that, you need the chance to be on the floor. You don't get better when you don't play. You get better when you play. So um, I wish we saw a lot more. You know, we saw it in the football season, right? Mm-hmm. When, when BYU said, hey, our game's off. Let's pick up. We'll go. We'll go play uh, Coastal Carolina. Let's make that game happen. I'd love to see a lot more of that in basketball. It's hard, you know, with the testing and with the, you know, your next game and when your last game was. But boy, I'd love to see them take that free spirited um kind of approach to scheduling give us a lot more certainly to watch now monday i assume you and i were watching the same thing monday night yeah Uh, um, it was the end of a college football season that we never knew if it was going to start we didn't know if it was going to continue and we certainly had our doubts about whether or not it was going to reach any kind of conclusion it did and that in itself is an accomplishment uh worth cheering also worth cheering Alabama, man, they absolutely hammered Ohio State in that title game. Devontae Smith, I mean, you want to back up a Heisman Trophy, right? You win the Heisman oh, Trophy. Man. You want to come back and say that was the right choice. Hey, voters, and and I, I will admit I voted for Trevor Lawrence. I had Devontae second on my ballot. Um, he showed me, man, that was that was a heck of a way to back up winning the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, and how bad would the score have been if Devontae Smith plays in the second half? Yeah. I mean, the guy had a career in the first half. I mean, my gracious. I mean, he, he was they, – they could not d- defend him. I mean, I felt badly for Sean Wade. Mm-hmm. I mean, there in the Ohio State secondary. I mean, they left him out there on an island a couple times. And that young man is not unique. Devontae Smith would do that to anyone in those kinds of, of coverages. But And if you're a Texas fan – are you salivating at the oh. thought of Steve Sarkeesian? I mean, 
that guy can X and O now. He's not going to have Devontae Smith, and he's not going to have Najee Harris or Mac Jones in Austin next season. But he he knows what he's doing with a clipboard now. Yeah, some some of the ways they used Devontae Smith mm-hmm. in that game, um, those sort of wheel routes, and they, I mean, it's hard enough to defend that guy when you know where he is, right? You line him up out wide, you put somebody on him, you put a safety over the top. I'm not sure that's going to work. But the things that Steve Sarkeesian did to disguise and delay and um, the way he moved him around, it, it was it was unfair. I mean, it was yeah. it was you're playing, you know, the, the chess game and, and you've got the queen and the queen's matched up with guys who just look like pawns. Um, there was nothing that Smith could not do. And uh, David, that first quarter, though, neither defense could slow down the other offense. I, I thought we were headed for I had made a big dinner because I love the championship. I made a big dinner, ate my big dinner, sat down. I, I was watching that first quarter and I'm like, man, I am going to be in for some must see TV tonight. And then uh, it, it didn't continue. So why was it all Alabama after a wildly entertaining first quarter? Well, I think part of it was the Buckeyes losing Trey Sermon. Yeah, that that hurt. Mm. He he'd been on such a roll there in, in in the run game, and then I think Mike just talent. I mean, Alabama's just better, and it was just a matter of time before that that talent discrepancy showed. And they're just they have five first team All Americans on offense. Mm. I mean, it it, it is. It's an unprecedented embarrassment of riches. And, you know, hats off. Nick Saban's the GOAT, and it's not even <laughs> it's not even close. I mean, the man has won seven national championships. The rest of college football's active coaches have won six combined. <laughs> Dabo has two. Mac Brown won. Ed Orgeron won. Jimbo won. Les Miles won. That's six. Nick Saban has seven. I mean, he, he, you know, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. And, and to me, and, and I'll ask you this, but to me, this was a good ending in some ways for college football this season because we all root for the underdogs and we all would have loved to have seen, you know, Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina, one of those programs kind of finish the job and, and get, get to the college football playoff level. But I think at the end of the day, if, if, if Cincinnati had played Texas A&M for the national title, we would have looked at it as a very 2020 national title game, right? The season was disjointed. You didn't really get a true snapshot of greatness. Uh, you didn't really know who the best program was, but here was two teams that did a great job playing and navigating the minefield. The fact that it was Alabama, Ohio State, the fact that Alabama was Alabama and they were dominant and they won the title that everybody kind of saw coming all year long. To me, that in some ways, not justified isn't the right word, but it legitimized, I think, this season when there were so many questions about how legitimate would the year be. Validated it. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. It really did. And also remember, you know, Alabama didn't play any non-conference games until Mm -hmm. the playoff. I mean, Alabama won 11 games against the SEC. (laughs) And then, you know, just boat raced Notre Dame and Ohio State. And oh, by the way, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame have to be sitting there a little more smug these days saying, see, we told you it's not just us. <laughs> and because the Irish play, played the, the, the tie to much closer than, than did the Buckeyes. But, you know, this is what we've become accustomed to in the playoffs. We've had 
21 games in the playoff, 15 of them decided by double digits. Now, that segues in, we bring it up Notre Dame, to the thing I wanted to ask you here. I'm curious, if you're the ACC, and I can't remember, David, now, if this was a tweet, a text you sent to me, a conversation we had, but somewhere you brought up the fact that, hey, two ACC teams in the top five, uh, that's that's pretty darn good. Obviously, the rest of the league, not competitive in bowl season and, and, and you know some questions about how some of their seasons unfolded. How do you look at this past year for the ACC? I think it's 0-6 is, is you, you can't erase that in, in, in bowls. But if you look at the big picture, the ACC played more games than any conference in the country. The ACC put two teams in the playoff for the first time and ended up with two top five teams for the first time in its history. And I know Notre Dame is a rental. I get it. But Notre Dame played 10 ACC games. You know, it was that schedule that propelled the Irish to the playoff. For this year, Notre Dame counts. And to to have, you know, two in the top five. Mike, we're talking about a conference that for 11 years – between Florida State 2001 or 2000 and then Florida State 2013, actually 12 straight years, did not produce a top five team in the final AP poll. So to have two, that's that speaks volumes to me. Now, let me play devil's advocate and take the flip of that here. Sure. The fact that the perception of the ACC in recent years has been it's Clemson and nobody else. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was Florida State and nobody else. Notre Dame coming in, being that clear number two, uh, clearly the second best team in the conference. Does that just add to that perception that, hey, this league is just Clemson and, and Notre Dame could come right in and they're automatically number two because it's Clemson and, and nobody else over there? Yes, certainly it adds to that perception because I think it's accurate. <laughs> the rest of the league has has some catching up to do. No question. And does Clemson come back to the pack a little bit next season? We're going to find out in a hurry because the Tigers open with Georgia. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you you look at all these these crazy way too early top 25s for for next season and Georgia sitting there now that JT Daniels announced that he's coming back. The dogs are sitting there in the top five right there with with Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama and and, and the other usual suspects. So I think we're going to find out about Clemson quite quickly next season. No doubt. And it takes me back to the fact that you know we started this year, we were looking forward to Virginia and Georgia, if you right. remember that, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in, in three or four schedule iterations ago. Um what a wild year. But yeah, I, I thought um, an entertaining and fitting end with, with Alabama winning the way they did. You mentioned the not, you know, the way too early top 25s for next year. And we'll we'll spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about next college football season. But right now, uh, as we wrap up, you talked about Clemson. Who else is intriguing in the ACC going into the next year? Carolina, yeah. just because of Sam Howell. And uh, Tar Heels landed a graduate transfer running back yesterday from Tennessee, which should help ease the the loss of Javante Williams and Carter. I think that really helps Carolina. You know, now and, and they're going to have a lot of defensive pieces back. Obviously, Surratt's not one of them. 
but I think the Tar Heels will be the team to beat in in the Coastal with Virginia Tech and in Miami, right there. You, you hope that De'Ara King recovers quickly from the ACL injury that he sustained in the bowl loss to Oklahoma State. Um, just because you know he's a quality player, and and you want to see the best best folks on the field, so you know, hopeful for him. And then, you know, Virginia Tech and, and Justin Fuente, that's going to be a drama all season long. Mm. And, and oh, by the way, Mike, I've just because I need a life and a hobby, <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've looked at all these schedules. Virginia Tech will open next season against an ACC opponent. But if you look at the other schedules around the conference and yeah. who people are contracted to play, I would bet that the Hokies open the 21 campaign at home against Sam Howell and the Tar Heels. And then in week three, they go to Morgantown. So very early on, similar to Clemson, we're going to learn a lot about Virginia Tech. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating year with, with Fuente's situation. And uh, we're hearing that there might be a, a shuffling a little bit on the coaching staff uh, mm-hmm. for this team going into that year. So it's it's going to be interesting. And like I said, we'll have plenty of time to, to preview that. But since one season ended, I thought it was only appropriate to start to get your thoughts on the next one. Uh, still talking about the college football playoff. And that, that brings us to uh, this week's Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. It is Take It or Leave It. We are more likely to get an expanded college football playoff after this year's collection of playoff blowouts. Take it or leave it. Let's start with Mike. I'm going to leave it only in that we're not more likely, right? Like the the reasons to expand the playoffs, as much as we all want to think it's about inclusion and giving everybody, it's about money, right? It's about putting more games on television, having more chances to sell advertising. That's what expanding the playoff is really about. Uh, Does the blowouts make me clamor for an expanded playoff? No. I think you expand the playoff. All you're doing is increasing the likelihood that the best team in the country doesn't win the national title (laughs) because they got to play that extra game and there could be injuries. It could be all sorts of things. Um, And you increase the likelihood that we're just going to see more blowouts, which, you know, it's fine for three games because of the hype and the importance. I don't know that I want to see it expanded, but it doesn't make it more or less likely to me. I, I think that that path is decided by money. David, take it or leave it. I'm going to leave it as well, guys. I believe that the playoff will eventually be expanded, but I don't think it's anytime soon. The original contract is for 12 years. We're seven years in. Plus, all conferences prior to the 2020 season, locked into new contracts with bowls for six years to coincide with the end of the playoff cycle. So to all of a sudden blow up the system with five years left on so many different contracts at a time when college presidents and athletic directors are trying to still navigate themselves through a pandemic and deal with the financial ripples that will just be years and years and years. I I just don't think that expanding the college football playoff is on the front burner for everyone. They got better things and more important things to do. I agree. And I will say that you bring up a good point, though, that the one thing that might speed it along 
is if they determine that this is the best way to restock their coffers. If this is the best way to recoup some of the money that's been lost, that, that would be the only thing that I could see kind of giving this a violent shove into the fast lane. Um, I do think that, that college ADs and presidents, that the NCAA, I think there's going to be some revisiting and some talk about what steps can be taken to generate more revenue to make up for what's been lost. I, I think that, that that story has not yet been written of just how damaging uh, this pandemic has been to college athletic departments. I also think, Mike, that those presidents and athletic directors will be looking into not only how to generate more revenue, but how to spend less. Yes, sir. Which if you've been around college athletics, and and we love it, we do this for a living, there is a good amount of of what would be termed waste in the land of college athletics, of excess. And um, this forces everybody to take a good, long, hard look at themselves. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, David, I, I wish you luck tomorrow in preparing that breakfast and that <laughs> dinner. <laughs> I hope that Jill Teal has an absolutely wonderful birthday. Same to um, Elizabeth. Thank you. I will pass that along. And thanks to all of you for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. Again, makes a great gift if you happen to have a wife celebrating a birthday. <laughs> you can find special promotional offers available at the website, richmond.com. The show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week when we're hoping to have a very special guest with us. Music.